Well, as we enter the busiest stretch of the 2020 MLS season, Toronto FC sit tied for first place in the league after a trio of big wins against Eastern Conference opposition. Over the next couple of weeks, they'll get a chance to further their grasp on the crown as they, between now and next Sunday, play four matches. We'll break down a busy road ahead for Toronto FC and plenty more on this week's edition of Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. Devang Desai of The Score and host of a football pod will join us in just a few minutes and we'll get his thoughts on the biggest breaking news story right now in world football, Arsenal Football Club spokesperson revealing Gunnar Soros is not extinct and will return to action when fans are allowed back at matches. Mesut Ozil apparently offering to pick up his wages. Jeff, as a gooner, wearing your Arsenal top right now, this has to be uh, very welcome news, doesn't it? It's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, what was the rumor yesterday that forward Madison were going to hire him? That's uh, This is a better outcome, I think. Leave him, leave him in Arsenal. Maybe he'll get on the pitch up more often than uh, than Mesut Ozil. So there you go. <laughs> Michael, as a as a Manchester United fan, I, I won't uh, I won't ask you how the the transfer window closing went yesterday. Um, but uh, certainly for Toronto FC, as as we get back to that, uh, a big week for them. Uh, what were your thoughts on you know another win? Kind of uh, as I said off the top, kind of uh, I guess showing. How good they are compared to you know the top teams in, in MLS. Yeah, no one's out here, you know, saying TFC can only beat Vancouver and Montreal anymore, right? They've done it to the class of the East, I guess we can call, and uh, they've put themselves right back into that supporter shield race. Um, you know, they're they're right now tied for for, for first place there in, in Major League Soccer, and I think it was maybe two weeks ago we were just talking about you know a top three finish would be would be really really nice, and you know they they've set themselves up into like some pole position for that. Um, I got to give a shout out to you know Io Akinola for once again getting himself on the scoreboard there. You know, pause as well for for what he did, and just a shout out to that midfield as well and Jonathan Osorio and uh, Marky Delgado. I mean, we'll we'll dive into more of it later, but I just wanted to highlight those guys just off the top of the show because I feel like they've been the pillars of of success uh, so far in, uh, for this TFC run. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Devang's actually here at the moment, so we'll get Jeff your thoughts. Uh after Devang, um, as we bring him on right now. Um, Gentlemen. Hello. What's Go going on? on? Hey. Yeah, what is going you, buddy? Love it. Love it, man. Yeah, I <laughs> Gunnersaurus saved, it sounds like. I mean, yeah. I PR-wise, Arsenal, again, just a master class in terrible manipulations. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Didn't need to do this. Probably nope. didn't need to do this on transfer deadline day. Didn't need to do this with the idea that Partey's coming. But, hey, he'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly optically not not great. But um, we did, of course, bring you on to talk Toronto FC. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, to talk off the top, you know, tied now for, for first in MLS – um, wins against uh, at least two teams. You can maybe throw NYCFC in there, although they have tire fires of their own going on right now. Um, where, where do you think Toronto FC ranks now in terms of what they've shown over the last little bit since they've gone down to Hartford um, among the, the best in the league? I think before this stretch of games against um, better competition, I was still pretty confident that TFC probably did have another level against um, the quote-unquote best of the East, whether it be Columbus or Philadelphia, but we really didn't know, right? We didn't have any games to see to to base that off of. And I I think New York City, not the most convincing display, but they were getting it right. And then I think the last two games um, from probably the second half 
against the crew onwards, I'm pretty comfortable saying TFC is the best team in the East. Um, I don't think there is that other gear at the moment for the crew and for the union as well. I think Orlando might even be, for me, a team that might scare me more than those other two. But I look at the West and I, I even though it's, there's a bit of a gap, Seattle and SKC, I think, are in that conversation for best team in the league. But for the East, I'm, I'm comfortable saying TFC right now. Cool. I like it. I like it. Who would you uh, who would you highlight? I guess out of that that push there for TFC is you know as we kind of talked about a little off the top of the show, but who are sort of those uh, significant pieces that TFC have kind of leaned on for this run? I'm, I mean, you guys rightfully so have talked about Paz a bunch, and I think he is he is for me the the MVP. It's funny. I think I think what Seba did a few years ago for us here a kind of it numbed us a bit to watching someone that's clearly better than everyone else. And I'm not to, I'm not to say that Paz is on Javinko's level or the same player, but I think we're at that, that caliber of player for this club where he is making that difference every game and he's bringing it every game. I think the work rate is super impressive, but I, I honestly have to say, I, I was skeptical like a lot of people when Pablo Piatti was mentioned as the player that TFC wanted to bring in, there was injury concerns and is he the right age? Is he the right kind of profile of player that, TFC should be bringing in as this window kind of closes, but he's been absolutely perfect, I think, and and health has not been an issue. And you see the way he plays off pause. It's it's a beautiful end play. And I think the other player I'll mention, Richie, of course, but if Jonathan Osorio can play in that deeper lying midfield role and play in front of the defenders like he has and also employ exceptional vision and the ability to pass um, through the channels, it opens up in a completely different game for TFC when you're talking about missing Michael Bradley. So... Those guys for me have been the absolute game changers. And I will say though, I think there is uh there's Greg Vanny talk all the time and I get it, Vanny out. I get the bants. The bants are happening when I was still with the club at the very beginning, when it was <laughs> early days in the Greg Vanny tenure. But I um he has found the right way to navigate more times than not through the trials and tribulations which we've seen a bunch. Like it has not been completely smooth throughout these last five or so years of a very good soccer from TFC. But Greg has found a way each time. I think you're seeing it again. So I, I would mention him as well. Great shouts. Great shouts. Yeah, that's a, that's a great segue because I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, do you think TFC is going to win the Supporter Shield plus asterisks in 2020? <laughs> uh, so I, I, was, I was talking about this on AFE with David the other day. And he mentioned a good point. I think Columbus schedule-wise probably has the inside track. I think they play they play Orlando, but they have, they have Cincinnati, they have Houston, they have D.C., they have Atlanta again. So I might lean them just based on scheduling reasons. But I still picked TFC when I made that prediction, and I'm going to stick with it. I think so. I also think there's, there is this added challenge of the international break and some, cl- some clubs losing some players and cl- some clubs not and adding a bit of an uneven playing field. And I wonder if that'll affect any of these results going forward, but I'm still comfortable picking TFC. I, the supporter shield this year, I know the schedule is super weird and not fair at all. And TFC's played Montreal and Vancouver 80 times. And like, that's not a good way to judge this, but I think because it has been so weird, it might be one of the the biggest achievements for, for this, this team and this club of, of what there've been many, there've been many of them, but I think how fractured this has been, they had, didn't have a home really. They're playing, and a de facto home in Hartford, and, and yet they're still in the conversation. So I think this would be just as impressive as the ones we've seen in the past. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, if we're talking about uh, uh, TFC playing against the Canadian sides, we can't ignore how often Columbus has played against Cincinnati, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, MLS Cup, is it going to be TFC v Seattle again for the four millionth time? I hope not. God, I hope not. You know, the problem is Seattle will probably be in and TFC will have a chance and we'll have to root against it. No, I'm kidding. If it happens, it happens. (laughs) But I... Honestly, I, I think from what I've seen out West and LAFC, LAFC who dipped considerably, but I think the idea of peaking and finding their form at the right time, this might be perfect for them. Because I think the, what they're trying to do this season is beyond, I think, um, a regular season game against Houston. It's about what happens in, in November, et cetera. So they're in the conversation SKC, but I, I will pick Seattle for now as well. The playoffs are the playoffs though, guys. And I we saw last year, hell, I don't think any of us really thought TFC would be in that that MLS Cup final. I don't think we thought they'd beat Atlanta. I don't think we thought they'd beat New York City FC either. And I think TFC is just as likely to be picked off by a random team like in Orlando early on. So I'm less comfortable saying MLS Cup, but let's say it for now just for, for the hell of it. Well, we know it won't be DC knocking them out in the playoffs. At least we have that. Right. Well... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you mentioned Orlando there a couple of times. Uh, TFC are actually kind of fortunate. They don't. Uh, Orlando's one of the hottest teams in the league right now, and TFC don't face Orlando for the rest of the season, believe it or not. They do mm-hmm. face a lot of Eastern Conference opponents. I think they face New York City FC uh, another time down the road, maybe twice down the road. Uh, they face Philly again, um, but not Orlando. See, we paint this as a good thing for TFC. Maybe they're avoiding one of the hottest things, teams in the East, but... That being said, TFC are eight and two all time against Orlando. I don't think there's another team they're more dominant against than Orlando. That being said, this obviously is a different looking Orlando yeah, it's side. A different Orlando, maybe yeah. that's that could yeah. be an argument to, against you know turn off push towards the Sorbonne Shield. Yeah, go ahead. The final verdict on the Oscar Perea project in Orlando will be delivered if they can beat TFC. Because you're right, we are their boogeymen. We beat them in any kind of any kind of circumstance. It could be nine million degrees in Orlando. Doesn't matter. It could be pouring rain. <laughs> Uh, Orlando's fun. They're a fun team, guys. Yeah. Like I feel like it's uh, they're co- Pere- Oscar Perea in general. The person he is, it's an, he's impossible not to back and, and kind of support. He's an infectious leader. Leader. Um, terrible use of that phrase based on current events. Infectious. <laughs> we'll, let it, we'll let it slide. His, his, his emotion is infectious. Is what mm, I got. Yeah, mm, uh, mm. he, uh, he makes his players care, and I. I was I was thinking about who their MVP candidate would be, and they've got a bunch. I think there's a bunch of guys that could be in the conversation. Chris Mueller's been great. Nani's been great. Uh, Daryl DK, we're familiar with Bright TK, T- TFC fans. Um, his brother's been absolutely fantastic. What a find he's been. Orlando should be good for this league. I, I think it's important that Orlando is not permanently terrible. Like Since their inception, I know it's been awful, but I'm happy to see this. It's good for the Bants. I, hey, beating them 900 times was great, but I, I'm I'm happy to see them actually making a, an imprint. We usually name the uh, episodes after the guests, but I think Infectious Leader might end up being the <laughs> episode title for this one. Yeah, uh, we yeah. do have a comment here on Facebook, which is, I hate to say it, but TFC is playing better without Bradley, which I don't know if that's... 100% a, a Bradley-related thing, but I did want to get your thoughts because I think Toronto FC's midfield and, you know, specifically Delgado and Osorio, the way they've been able to combine uh, in that defensive midfield has been mm-hmm. pretty important to the way things have been going right now for the club. You know, what, what does Greg Vanny do now? Because I, I think it's pretty obvious Bradley's going to come back into the lineup, and I do think Toronto FC in the long run will probably be better for it, but 
he does have some difficult decisions to make now, certainly. 100%. I think I think you'd have, like you said, Mitch, like Bradley's coming back in the team, no no questions asked, and he's earned that right. I think there is some some questions about merit, but we'll see how he performs when he gets back on the field. I wonder if, if Oso has done enough to get him, him get himself in that position to be in the marquee role in certain games uh, when we get into the playoffs or we get into matchups where it might depend on who they play. Like if they play Atlanta, perhaps you feel more comfortable playing Oso there instead of Marky. But if they're playing a team like a Philadelphia, like a Columbus, you want to have Marky Delgado as that security. I think a lot will depend on how they play the rest of these next games. It's a good problem to have. Clearly, I think the fan base has been willing Liam Frazier being a thing into existence in this current team. And it, even outside of the injury, I wasn't sure that was a totally a thing that this coaching staff buys into right now. So the fact that they could produce another in-house solution that's not necessarily Liam, but it could be also taking on this new responsibility. I think that's huge for them. It's funny, uh, Mitch, uh, uh, previous prior to the game, sort of outlined that we should all be looking at Oso because of how he's gonna how he's been set up in this in this double pivot. And so I paid a lot of attention to Oso, and I was blown. I, I thought Delgado achieved god level skill uh, in the game, and uh, I thought Oso was incredible because, like Mitch was saying, you know, the, his ability to dribble and his close control in that sort of hybrid number six role mm-hmm. is a really, really interesting tactical wrinkle. Um, and it allows, it allows TFC to dictate tempo. It also, um, it's not as predictable because with, with Bradders on the field, I mean, he's always the first outlet and, and we've talked often enough. I mean, both of those, uh, God, do I, I regret those, uh, those six points that we left on the table or, or those what, four points we left on the table because DC is our boogeyman team and we'd be, <laughs> we'd be top of the league right now if it, yeah. if it wasn't for those capitulations. But uh, it makes us less predictable. And, I, uh, to be, and, and like, I don't think we've ever had that option, really. Since Michael's been here, I don't think we've really had that player that was that uh, technically proficient in that role where it, it is not a set play or it's not a guarantee where that pass is going to go. So it's definitely something that other teams have to watch out for. That being said, I mean, Michael's Michael. And I think the back line being as rickety as it is. And like, I think the first goal that the union score, you're like, that should not be happening. And I'm not saying Michael Bradley stops that from happening, but I think he does insulate them a bit more where perhaps they play a little more comfortably because we're talking about the attacking players. We're talking about how the midfield is looking. And I think that is all very positive things, but I think we've seen enough defensively to know that it's a very good team in TFC, but there is a penchant for the disaster at any corner. Mm-hmm. Who knows what you expect, right? <laughs> Guys, this is some serious Michael Bradley disrespect right now. <laughs> the fact that we are even entertaining this is is outrageous. Um, shout out to Ozo. Shout out to Marky Delgado. I've been I'm the biggest supporters there in that position. They've done a fantastic job. But I think just you know two weeks ago when we had Charlie on, we were talking about the biggest problem TFC had was, you know, can somebody fill that position? Um, right, exactly. So I think it's a great thing that Ozo has been able to step up and do a valiant effort against some of the Eastern Conference's best uh, teams. But Michael Bradley is a different beast in that midfield. And, and go, ahead, go ahead. And, and to piggyback on this, like I see a lot of the same argument about Josie. And I think Josie is a bit of a different case where the injuries, they are going to impact whether or not he can play as much. But 
when Josie is on the field, for the for the most part, TFC is able to play the way they want to play at a more proficient rate. And I know it's not been totally consistent this year because Josie hasn't been consistent. And I think the injuries have been a massive problem with that. But going forward, for example, that MLS Cup game last year, I know it was a really small sample size, but when Josie was not playing, you kind of see that there's there's just a different level of player that I think we rely on TFC relies on to beat the teams like Columbus or Philadelphia. And Michael is still in that conversation. Josie is still in that conversation. It's good to see these other players step up, but as this club is currently constructed, I think you're hundred percent right, man. So, yeah, thanks. I, th- I think this kind of segues into sort of a, a, a next kind of point I want to bring up. And that is the Iowa Canola versus Josie Altador debate. Um, the biggest thing being is with Josie going down, we obviously know he strained his hamstring. Hopefully we get some more information from Greg Vanny later today on that. Um, but Ayo has a real chance right now to cement his place into Greg Vanny starting 11 if he hasn't done so already. Um, you know, we saw what he did as a sole striker at the MLS's back tournament, and it was absolutely amazing with his ability to run off the ball. I would have agreed with everything that you said about Josie Altador there. Um, prior to 2020 because in 2020 we haven't seen the movement out of Josie Altador maybe right. these last two games I, I don't want to really bash him because he has been he has been working these last two games and that's something that we really needed out of him uh but Iowa Canola is almost, almost sort of refreshing there in that striker role because he is giving Pozuelo someone to get on the end of the ball he's making more runs he's making it's just I feel like he's more involved in the game than Josie Altador is at times. I don't know if that's unfair to me for me to say. I don't know if you guys have a different opinion on that, but that I, I feel strongly about that right now. I think Iowa Canola brings a little bit more energy to that role, especially as, if they're playing a sole striker. It's it's tough to 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 point fingers at, at Josmer. I mean, he was pretty honest about how he's feeling emotionally uh, in a way that I, I haven't seen in a very long time. So there, there's a margin for... Um, understanding where he's coming from. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, by the eye test, absolutely, Io looks far more dynamic up there than, than Josie has. I think it's, it's, it's two things for me. If you're chasing a game, I agree. I think, I think the way the game was working out against Philadelphia, it did take some Io making a run, making a run that Josie might not make or trying to find space that Josie perhaps might not try to find. But I think Josie is still, right now, the most creative forward in the league when he gets the ball at midfield, he's the most effective outlet passer that TFC has when he receives the ball at midfield or around midfield. And he's helping his midfield out immensely still to this day. I think there's a lot of other things he's not doing. And I I'm, I'm with you there, but if TFC is playing within their own, their own um, realm and they're not worried about chasing and they're, they're at nil nil and they're comfortable playing one V one. Let's go. I think Josie is on the field for Greg ahead of AO, but it's an interesting problem because I, I think AO on the wing necessarily isn't the, the solution either, right? So I, I these injuries these injuries that are, are happening are, are bad. They're terrible. You hate to see them. But it is also kind of forcing Greg into maybe playing the most effective the most effective lineup he could play. Right? So I, it's tough. It's, it's tough to make a a, a firm statement now, but it's yeah. it's also hard not to discount what we just seen the last couple of games, right? So Yeah, these next upcoming games should be interesting because I think TFC have five in, in 15 days, including mm-hmm. that Philly match. So uh, keep an eye for what, what Greg Vanny does at that number nine role. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, ahead. I think Michael touched on it very well, which is, you know, I think it, it goes to the Bradley conversation and the Josie conversation. I think people 
get kind of excited with the new shiny toy sometimes or the the new player who's you know uh, right in front of us doing a, a decent job but bradley and josie have proven in the past that you know they have all kinds of ability and they've done plenty of good things for this club especially bradley so are of late so i, I think uh before we get too carried away with replacing these guys, you know, we might as well see what they still have left, certainly, and, and both have proven um, they have a lot, Jeff. Well, I'd like to know how the dialogue turned into me suggesting that, you know, we take Bradley out behind the barn and put him out of his interview. That was never my intention. I was just saying that, you know, uh, uh, I've read a lot of tactical breakdowns saying the easiest way to, to upset TFC is to take Bradley out of the game. That's so. Fair. Uh, you know, having having an option there uh, that has that kind of close control. Um, and I wanted to circle back because the only other person uh, on TFC in recent memory that I remember that had insane dribbling ability over and above basic soccer skills was Armando Cooper. And I loved watching him, but he, you know, he was, he was so frustrating and everything except his close control, but he could, he could dribble. That's, he could, uh... That's MLS Cup winner Armando. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> true enough. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to say, guys, like mm-hmm. I think, I think there is, there's definitely a, a, it is, we will have to do this because time is undefeated of pivoting away from this era of Michael and Josie, mm-hmm. and they will have to get to that point, no doubt. And there is something to be said for getting ahead of it and doing it ahead of time and kind of perhaps uh, lessening the future pain, but. These players have earned this. They have earned the right to go out, I think, on their own terms. And if that means a defeat in the first or second round of the playoffs, so be it. But I think for what they've done, that is the move. And I, I totally understand there's there's people calling for um, a new face or the players that have play, been playing well recently. But I, I don't think we should be surprised when those guys are playing in the business end of the season. Hmm, that's a good point. Do you think we've uh, do you think we've cooked our own goose with Frazier? Do you think he's putting in a transfer request at the end of the year? Honestly, I don't know. I uh, from the last few years, I've I've heard conflicting things. I've heard um, the club is super down. I've heard he might go out on loan. Um, but there is something there. You can obviously see it. And I and I think there was positive movement uh, when Liam was playing before the injury, where I think the, the, the coaching staff was trusting him more. So I, I'm not ready to write him off completely. I think he's definitely going to get some more looks, but there's a lot of guys there now. Right. And I, mm-hmm. TFC is not changing the way they play. I'm pretty comfortable in saying Greg is not going to alter from this, this formation for the foreseeable future. So it'll be interesting to see where he get back in. Yeah. Well, yeah, Greg Vanny think- didn't mention, Oh, sorry. Greg Vanny did mention all hands on deck over these, this next little run. So expect to see some Liam Frazier out there, you know, hopefully to see some of the young guns out there. We still haven't seen, uh, you know, Toronto FC's youngest ever signing to kill Marshall Rudy make his debut yet. Debut yet. So, you know, is maybe it, this stretch of play is a, could be a time, but yeah, go ahead. Say Jordan Peruzza killing it in San Antonio. Let's, uh, oh. I'm not sure what the yeah, window is. Let's not talk about purchasing another striker. Okay, let's leave all that banter to the side. We, we just need to recall him if something mm-hmm. comes up because he is absolutely tearing them. Chaos, he scored some screamers too. Like Chaos. they are nice goals. His header the other night too was was fantastic. He really got in front of the defenders and great finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I wanted to say on Liam is kind of the same thing I said on Alex Bono last week, which is just in in the way this season goes and how many fixture congestion, how weird it is right now. I don't think you can move out players before the off season, right? Like this is something you revisit when you've got a little more time and a little more surety on that. 
Um, I did, before we let you go, Devang, want to talk to you about something. Okay, Jeff has a point. Well, I mean, uh, move, moving out players, uh, what what just happened to Mitritza? He, he went out on loan to Saudi Arabia. He was leaving on international duty, and now he's not coming back. So, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point as well. Um, I wanted to quickly get your thoughts on on something your old Come On You Reds co-host Gareth Wheeler said this week uh, in his international update on One Soccer about Io Akinola, which is supposedly Io leaning towards Canada. How big would that be if, if Canada was able to add a player of his caliber? Big. It's big. I, th- I think it's it's a very interesting situation where he plays his club football in Toronto, Herdman's close. Canada should be in the pole position here. I think they would be disappointed not to, but it's interesting. If you look at Canada's forward uh, depth chart and who is there, it's not exactly a clear road to a lot of playing time right away. And I think even if you look at the United States, it's a bit more murky up front. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure the playing time argument is the complete winner here for AO Akinola. I think John Herdman was, will have to sell him on other things. And it does sound like you mentioned, Mitch, that they, that is going well. But for once, I think maybe the first time ever, we cannot just guarantee heaps of playing time if you choose Canada. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to be in the conversation, but there's other guys here. And I, that's, it, to me, that's a sign of progress. It's also very jarring because I've been a Canadian football fan for a long time. That's a good segue. Speaking of new Canadian football fans, uh, I, I need to thank you for schooling uh, David Goss in the ways of the CPL. And uh, the knock-on effect on, on the Extra Time Mothership has been great. My question is, when does it stop being cute, his mangling of Harvin's names and, uh, and, and uh, places and, and team names and stuff like that? When, when do we start holding him to account for that? Uh, behind the scenes, it's happening already. Don't okay, worry. good, good. There's been Happy some, to hear it. some stern emails sent. Uh, what's hilarious, David knows CONCACAF better than anyone I've ever met. So he knows a bunch mm-hmm. of the players in, in the Canadian Premier League. And he was giving scouting reports to us on guys that we had seen <laughs> less of. So it's just a... Don't yep. send it nice. time, but I, I, it's what a tournament! I uh, it's a bit surreal that it ended, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like it came and mm-hmm. went really quickly, but uh, amazing that they got the season and because I think momentum wise they needed to. So absolutely, it was awesome. Yeah, certainly yeah, going to be a long and uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say you kind of alluded to there, just sort of wraps us up. Just what a time for Canada soccer. We're going all over the map here, and you know we're talking yeah, about competition. Yeah people choosing Canada over the United States and you know they might even not even start there like it's it's such a good thing for Canada soccer and I'm so excited for yeah you know just the future people are asking uh Canada 2022 World Cup champ <laughs> I think it's it's guaranteed Michael I think they're pretty comfortable with at least getting out of the group stage guys let's uh, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely it's such a joke because we, we laugh about this we laugh about this but it is uh they're letting more and more teams in, guys. So they might, by default, we might just get it. We might just get it. <laughs> yeah, we might get 2020 this special, you know. Just just show up because you've got kits, so let's play. Right. Yeah. Well, they have to win multiple CONCACAF uh, group stages first before we can get to uh, that sort yeah. of discussion. But, yeah, as, as we've said, things are things are quite exciting right now for, for Canadian soccer. And uh, great to have you on, Devang, to, to talk about some of them. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Um, great, I did want to 
Yeah, the day sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the fourth time I cut you off this episode. <laughs> no, <it's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did want to pick up on the IO discussion because I, I do think that is a, is an interesting one, you know, where he'd fit in with Canada. And uh, I know Devang said, you know, there isn't maybe that, that path to the starting lineup right away, but you know, with the way Cavallini's season has been, Kyle Lahren, uh, he's actually been quite good this year, but uh, I know there's some reluctance there from Canadian men's national team supporters, certainly with what he's done for Canada in the past, just kind of struggled with the national team. I don't know. I think I think right now, based on current form, if if Io chose Canada, there's a decent chance he's he's at least getting minutes, uh, if not, you know, getting in that starting lineup. But I don't know what you, your thoughts on that are, Michael. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, Jonathan David is, is going to, you know, marshal that ship there as the number nine. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason to say I.L. can't come off the bench or even, you know, start in a, a different formation if Canada needs to. We we are we, we already, you know, we talk about all the time, where's Alfonso Davies going to play in this team? Uh, maybe that's something that they need to change around the formation kind of, you know, in a way Toronto FC frees up Richie Larea. Maybe that's the way you need to free up Alfonso Davies for Canada soccer and bringing in some versatility up top, some hold-up play uh, for the right side of the field so Alfonso can you know fly down the left. Maybe that is the answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of David Goss, he put out a Canada Best 11 uh, that hit Twitter last night. And I don't remember everything, but the left side was pretty stacked. He had uh, Fonzie on the wing. He had Richie as a uh, wingback. Um and I do believe he had Oso and uh, and Mac in the midfield as sort of a dual mm-hmm. pivot six eight hybrid kind of situation. Looked good on paper. Um, the only issue I had was uh, was Jonathan David as a uh, backup center striker, sort of a center forward under Cava, which I thought, eh, maybe not because they both sort of have the same skill set. But you know, if you got to get them all on the field. I actually think that might be David's best role. I think we've seen that with Lille. He struggled at first when they were trying to get him to lead the line. He hasn't always been the best for Canada when you know they, they have him leading the line there. So I think having him play in behind that, or at least in a two, is is probably um, you know his best position. The, the one other thing I will add, I think David Goss got that almost perfectly spot on for Canada, but uh, I think there's a certain guy in Portugal named Steven Eustachio. Who yeah, I noticed him missing as well. Yeah. Soccer player. And honestly, I think he might be our best midfielder right now. He's he's absolutely class on and off the ball. So and at a good level. So, you know, as much as Mark Anthony Kay and Jonathan Osorio um have been doing great in MLS, that's that's a guy who I'd really look to to have in that midfield. Where's my boy Ativa Hutchinson? <laughs> <laughs> That too, he's still yeah. going. He's still going oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah honestly, Atiba, Atiba scored the most goals he's ever scored in uh, in a professional season, or at least in in recent memory um, for Besiktas last year, and had a great season for you know again a, a really good club. So uh, if if Atiba's the thing is, we just don't know with Atiba right now. We don't yeah. know with the travel with with everything that's going on in the world right now. You know, a player who's already been kind of in and out of the lineup based on age. Um, that's an interesting one. But if Ativa says he wants to play for Canada, you you know you know you you have you <laughs> in that team for sure. Uh, one more thing on on Gas's list: uh, who he had uh, one slashy, and that was Arfield and Hoylet. Who would you start, Arfield or Hoylet? What position? Uh, right, right wing, basically, or right mid, right mid, basically. 
Yeah, if it's a right winger, it has to be Hoylet. If it's a right mm-hmm. mid, I, I would consider Arfield, depending on who they're playing, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about shoring up that that defense, sort of that Marky Delgado, Jonathan Azorio decision. You can kind of, you know, use that in the same philosophy if they're playing a weaker side, maybe free Hoylet. They're playing a stronger side, you know, shore up that midfield. That's yeah, my again, the, the positive with this, of course, is that we are even having the discussion about benching some of these, like, really quality players who would be probably our best player like a couple of years ago mm-hmm. you know, between Osorio, K, Ustakio, Hutchinson. Uh, there's so much quality there. Uh, Piet, you can even throw in there. There's so much quality there in the midfield and going forward that um, Canada and John Herdman certainly has a lot of work cut out for them to, to see how they can get the best out of that group. Um, you know, kind of transitioning back to, to Toronto FC and, and kind of a similar discussion, you know, two, two pretty big injuries. That was the, the, Biggest issue with the the Philadelphia Union match was Justin Morrow, of course, goes out. Josie Alcador goes down as well. We'll get an update on both of those guys. Uh, Justin's in particular didn't look great as he was kind of, you know, crying on the bench after. Although you, you, you <laughs> did have an update on that, Michael. Yeah, I heard from Vanny after the match that you know that was something they were monitoring throughout the match, and uh, you know Justin's close to the touchline, so they're in constant communication. And then when Justin felt like it was he couldn't go anymore, he 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 stopped. But to your point there, then why is he so visibly upset? Someone we we rarely, rarely, rarely see is so upset, show his emotion. Mm-hmm. Why is he so upset on the bench then? Is it because it's such a big game against Philadelphia, or is it because maybe there's something bigger to that? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, Vanny did say after the match that he doesn't think it's anything serious, and he thinks Morrow's actually okay, quote unquote okay. Um, so. You know, maybe he will be an option, you know, in, in these next uh, bunch of games. But, you know, shout out to Tony Gallagher as well, who who came on and he delivered a bunch of beautiful crosses into the box. Obviously, Io, you know, got his head onto that that one. Um, what did you guys think of, of Tony Gallagher's game? Well, credit where credit is due. If, if Nick DeLeon didn't make that other uh, companion run to to take up a couple defenders, Io is not getting on the end of that ball. Uh, uh yeah, I mean, uh, your backup uh, left back, uh, you know, uh, uh, floats across to your backup center forward for a header goal. How can there's no complaining there? That's pretty terrific. Uh, I want to, yeah, I, I will say something. When I did provide that update on WTR, I had a lot of people in the comments mentioning that Moro's loss won't be that big for Toronto FC. They don't see it as such a big loss for the for club. Sure. Um, how do you guys think about that? I think Before they're wrong. I, I my opinion, yeah. yeah. Why, no, why think, do you guys think that? I, I think it's interesting because I think it's it goes to similar discussions we've had with Delgado, Osorio. Um, different games, you want to have those different options. Like Justin Morrow is so good at keeping possession. He's, I mean, we haven't seen a lot from Gallagher, but he's very good defensively. He's had some tough games this year, but we, you know, we know what Morrow can do defensively. Um, obviously, he's got that leadership veteran presence on the field. So certain games when you want to keep the ball and you want to make sure, you know, when it goes out to that uh, left side, you're not losing it. Moro's, mm-hmm. you know, he he's not going to lose you that ball. At the same time, it looks like Gallagher is willing to take a little more risks going forward. He's willing to, you know, he's got a great left foot on him. That, that's for sure. He can he can deliver some great crosses. And he also uh, showed a nice tendency to get in behind, which I think could open up a lot of options for Toronto FC. But, you know, Moro's still, again, he's probably one of the left back, the best left backs that's ever played in this league. You can't, it goes back to the discussion we've been having throughout the show with Bradley, with Josie, and again with Morrow. You know, you can't just you can't just push aside proven guys. I know you have to transition 
from them at some point. And it looks like Toronto FC are starting to build up the options to do that. Should, um, should something go wrong, but you know, Moro still today is probably the best left back in Toronto FC starting 11. You, you yeah. Took the words, yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth there. The, the best part about Justin Moro's game is his ability to keep the ball. And that cannot be understated enough. Uh, I, we haven't seen enough of Tony Gallagher and obviously he hasn't had enough time to sort of mesh with this squad. Uh, but I still don't think there's someone in Toronto FC's side who can play left back that can keep the ball up so well at that position. And just watch for that next time you see, you see Justin Moro on the field, because it's something that does kind of go, you know, sort of over is, is something that's sort of overlooked and it's just so important especially such a tight area of the field you know you can't go left because there's a, a byline there but yet still Moro's finding ways to you know avoid the press defeat the press and it, he's a great asset on that left wing yeah I mean the eye test for me has always been you know he's not the 2017 JMO anymore like he's not scoring a hat trick on on the New York Red Bulls and uh you know those feckless back passes are annoying because he, he's a smart enough player now to know that on the attack, if it's not perfect, he'd rather just recycle the ball and, and see if they can break down the team on the other side. But that attacking, that, that missing attacking noose is, is something that I think bothers people because we've seen him much more attack minded. And now as he ages and, and his intelligence grows, he's not as willing to, to, to take those blistering runs down the flank anymore. So we do lose a bit of our attack, but I do agree with you what we gain in our defensive shape is worth the sacrifice. Yeah, what I will say is Toronto FC has a lot of guys who, you know, take those risks. They've got Pozuelo, certainly. Um, even a guy like Osorio, uh, Piatti, they'll, they'll take those risks where potentially they're losing the ball off of creative plays that, you know, they're, they're when they come off, they're going to result in goals or chances. When they don't come off, maybe they're not, uh, you, you know, like they could they could spell trouble. Mm-hmm. You want you want to have some guys on the field, and that's why Delgado has always been so important, who – can just reliably get the ball from point A to point B without it being lost. And um, again, the more guys, the more combo you can have of those two types of players, the better you're going to be, especially in a possession oriented team like Toronto FC, where, you know, we, we've seen over the last little bit when they can keep the ball and play that purposeful game, there's no one better in MLS mm-hmm. than, than Toronto FC. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Just shout out to, I want to shout out Marky Delgado there. And, you know, we do, you know, kind of touch on his ability to play the ball, but I felt like on on Saturday, his his ability to spray the ball across the field was was outstanding. And we, we mm-hmm. sometimes forget he's only twenty five years old, and this is Delgado getting better. This maybe not maybe not just a one off game. This could be an improvement in this game. You know, uh, when he first came to Toronto, he was sort of this rugged defender. You know, he didn't really have a touch. He or rugged midfield. He didn't really have a touch. He he was kind of battling his way, grinding his way through through oppositions. But now I think we're seeing this finesse side of, to his game, and I think it's so crucial in the midfield. And I think sort of Jonathan Osorio is rubbing off on him, Paz is rubbing off on him, maybe Piatti is rubbing off on him. But either way, some great, great signs. And again, he's only 25. So I think he is only going to get better from here. Mm-hmm. Love the middle flipper. I think he's been my vote for most underrated TFC player since we've been doing awards at WTR. Uh He's so he's so important to our to our team shape. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, one other player who I thought had a fantastic match against the Philadelphia Union and who I thought has been great this season and, and mentioned on Twitter is Chris Mavinga. Um, you know, with with the way Toronto FC play, they leave so much space in behind their their back line. And how many times this season have we seen Mavinga comfortably gallop back and, and you know be able to break up plays 
almost before they happen. Um, especially with, you know, Bradley's legs getting a little bit slower and him not always being available. He, he used to do a lot of that too. Uh, I think Mavinga has just been critical for Toronto FC this season. And again, it's, it's that preventative stuff, right? Like, like they aren't plays that you'll always catch because sometimes he does get there just so comfortably, but um, he, he's been great this season for me. Almost scored a goal too. Yeah, yeah, he did. I can't believe he found himself in that position. <laughs> um, for me, he's been Toronto FC's best center back this season, for sure, especially when you think about some of the lapses Omar's had of late. Um, and uh, I don't even want to talk about the TFC bench right now uh, at center back position because, yeah, we don't want to go there. But Chris Mavinga has been absolutely, absolutely terrific. And you mentioned his ability to cover, especially like down the wing, if, if they're left backs pressing high, you know, to cut someone off. Chris Mavinga is there swooping in behind just sort of clean up the mess. Um, and also that's sort of why Quinton Westberg is also so important to this side. It's just because he's also sort of that Chris Mavinga sweeper keeper, almost kind of role where he's in there to always clean up the mess sometimes coming out of his net. Um, and I think it's also really important to state Omar Gonzalez is so good for Chris Mavinga as well because he's so stable for him. Uh, Chris Mavinga is a little bit sporadic at times. He can be a little bit wild, but Omar is sort of that steady no. pre- presence no. for the most part. <laughs> and I really think they've they've you know formed one of the best partnerships in in all of MLS at center back. Yeah, and I think Mavinga has been a little bit less sporadic this year. Uh, I, yeah, I think Jeff shaking his head there. I don't know if I go. With- Best yeah, it's, it's really. I'd say they're one of the best in all of MLS. Like, if you go, if you sure, Toronto FC's defense has its problems, but mm-hmm. I don't think those problems are, for the most part, Chris Mavinga, Omar Gonzalez. You know, there are times where we can point to them, and sure, center backs are always going to make mistakes, and they'll be the first one we'll look at. But for the most part, these guys have been, you know, the TFC's you know, pillars at the back. Again, I'll say it again, just because when Omar came into the side, what was the record? Oh, what, no, is, no, what is Omar yeah, yeah. Gonzalez's yeah, record in this really. in this team? So if you want to judge it from when Omar and Chris Mavinga have come in, I'd, I, I'd put them up there with, with some of the best partnerships in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Go yeah. ahead. I want, to, I want to hear that rebuttal. Go. Well, uh, no, no, no. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it's, – it's an emotional rebuttal because I'm, I'm just flashing to the goal that, that OGCD let in uh, in the first half, and I'm like, mm, best, and, and that, that goal – are sort of mutually exclusive. So, um, what did I they, can't... what do you do the rest of the game though? Killed it. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, what was the last it's... time before that Omar Gonzalez specifically himself made a mistake? Well, you can, I mean... you can solely point the finger at Omar. Well, we'll look at the header, you know, there's three of them going at it, but what else other than that? The header, but yeah, I, I can't go back that, that far, but, uh, no, no, no. Again, I said, it's an emotional knee jerk reaction. That's it. I don't. I don't really have uh, the stats to back it up. <laughs> that's okay. That's what you bring to the show, Jeff. That's I know. Why, that's why we like you. Um, and all. Yeah, I, I, I do like the point that uh, uh, Gonzalez is rubbing off on Chris Mavinga, though, because um, you know, f- from what we've seen, maybe maybe some of that recklessness uh, has been a little less this year. No, you know, we don't see him going flying into those tackles that take him out of out of the play in the same way. You know, I think he's just been that that little bit smarter w- without taking out some of the edginess that, again, is is so critical to Chris Mavinga being such a good defender. Yeah. So I think that's been important. Um, before we go here quickly, I did want to mention, and, and you talked about this quickly, Michael, about Fanny wanting to rotate his squad a little bit over the next little bit. 
Um, just one guy quickly that you, that you guys are hoping to see a little bit more from over the, over the next couple of games. Uh, we'll start with you, Jeff. Patrick Mullins. Always Patrick Mullins. Now that we've got <laughs> now that we've got some space in the uh, in the forward depth, uh, let's let's let's. Well, because you know, for a forward to have any kind of chemistry when he's on the second team in training, playing against the first teamers, uh, is is kind of a fool's errand. And and Mullins makes his own luck. Uh, you know, some of the goals that he's that he scored, he's he's good at setting up his own shots. He's he's well integrated with the team. He gives you a different vibe when he's out there. Um, I'd like to see him get more play. So do you think there's a role on this team for Patrick Mullins when this team is healthy? In Fully training healthy. or on or, or on the bench? <laughs> <laughs> no, just like in a game, in a game scenario. They're in the first round of the MLS Cup, MLS Cup playoffs. You know, they're, they're facing Atlanta hypothetically. Does Patrick Mullins play a role in that match? What's the scoreline? The TFC's could, up one nothing. He did last nothing. year, to be fair. He, yeah, he, he did, did last off, year to be fair. He did come on late in playoff games. And, Is that not out of necessity though? Because Josie was injured. True. Probably, probably yes. Right. But it's um, probably good to have that option. Yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. It's yeah. good to have that option. Yeah. That that's a fair show. And honestly, I actually do like Patrick Mullins. So I don't mean to just you know rant all over him. I think he <laughs> no, actually no is like. I actually think he is pretty effective in in his role, and I think he covers a lot of ground. And I think he's really direct. So I, I actually do. Don't mind seeing Patrick Mullins on the field at all. Um, and for my answer to that question, I'm going to go with Jack for sure to kill Marshall Rudy because we just haven't seen it yet. And he's supposed to be, what, the best of his age group in North America. Um, let, let's see it. Uh, come on. No yeah, one's going to say Frazier, are they? I, I mean, you, you know my answer is always actually Frazier. But the, <laughs> the player the player I do kind of want to see is Julian Dunn. I know he just came back from the Canadian Premier League. Interesting. Um, you know, considering what we've seen with some of Toronto FC's bench center backs this year, I, I'd, I'd like to see another option there. And I just think he fits Toronto FC's system really well because he can play the ball really well. Um, and he also has that recovery speed like Chris Mavinga, where if they get beat, Julian Dunn can get back there. And I, I think he showed with with Valor, you know, he's he is, uh, you know, he does think the game very well. And he, he you know, in, in somewhat of a similar situation to Toronto FC system-wise, at least. Uh, no, I guess I shouldn't compare Valor to TFC. That's probably not a perfect comparison. But um, I do think he he has the ability to fit in very well, and I'd like to see what he could do there. That's, That's a, good a good show. show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he would. Uh, I feel like if if we do see him, I don't I don't see him starting a match or anything like that. I see him coming in late uh, mm-hmm. just to give him you know get his feet wet, give him those minutes. But um, it kind of I think he kind of is that sort of ideal replacement for like a Chris Mavinga uh, down the road, just because you mentioned it there. His legs are great. You know he he does have the tendency to you know jump into tackles a little bit. Um, but he does have that recovery ability as well, like Chris Mavinga. So I think if you pair him next to someone like, you know, Omar Gonzalez, again, have that that sort of combination at center backs, I think that'd be ideal for him, and that'd be his best position to sort of succeed with TFC. Damn, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely definitely agree on all that. I think, uh, I think it should be interesting. Again, they have a game against Cincinnati, so they can run out a lot of people in that game if they want to. Starting forward, Bitchy the Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> hey, TFC's 4-0-0, I think, all-time against Cincinnati. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, that does bring us uh, to the end of the, the 13th edition of Waking the Red Weekly. A big thank you to Devang for hopping on um, and uh, taking the time with 
to talk to us today. Thanks again to Kevin and Sophia for everything they've done behind the scenes. Jeff for our fancy new graphics as well. I almost forgot to shout, shout out. that out. Yeah, they look they look very snazzy. Um, and uh, thank you to you guys as always, Jeff and Michael. Thanks for uh, thanks for all your insight this week, and of course, all of you for listening and interacting. It's it's pretty cool seeing the. Uh, the Facebook chat, at least. Oh, I know. Uh, My goodness, we'll, yeah. We'll try and get to uh, more of your comments uh, next week on the show. And, uh, of course, thank you for listening and interacting. And until next Tuesday. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Everyone. Go Reds.